parts of a missing person. The mother is on scene and requesting assistance. Unit 527 responding 1039. This is Over the Horizon and Far Away. so excited you guys found us for another week welcome back to over the horizon and far away a true crime podcast that covers cases of the missing and murdered that did not get the media attention they deserved today i'll be covering the case of jeffrey lynn smith jeffrey lynn smith was born on october 19 1969 she's the daughter of lee and clarice smith while jeffrey's name may seem unusual for a girl The story her mother tells behind this name is actually really fascinating. She was named after Bill Clinton's stepfather, Jeffrey Dwyer. Her mother had a really unique job and worked as a maid for the Clinton family. As her mom tells the story, Virginia Kelly, the mother of Bill Clinton, and her husband Jeffrey asked Clarice to name her child Jeffrey as the two of them didn't have any kids together. That is a wild ask. Yeah. You name your children after people who, like, mean something to you. Yeah. I feel like something about this was really off-putting to me. I feel like that's a really, really big ask to come from an employer at all. And then I feel like they had a lot of audacity to ask that of their maid. There's, like, a huge difference in power, and there's definitely, like, a shifted power dynamic there. Not only that, but this is an African-American family in the 1960s, and they're being asked that by a very well-connected, well-known, powerful political family. So I just think about how hard it would have to be to say no in Clarice's position. Oh, yeah, definitely does not seem like very appropriate behavior to me. Yeah, not even. Certainly wouldn't fly in today's world. No, not even a little bit. When Clarice ended up having a girl, she originally named the child Sherilyn but changed it to Jeffrey because Virginia Kelly's feelings were hurt by this. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes, my feelings are hurt, so you gotta change the name of your child. That's ridiculous. Now, while Jeffrey's name did have a really interesting story around it, we learn through her sister that she wasn't a big fan of being called Jeffrey and instead preferred to be called by her middle name, Lynn. Well, I would too. Yes. Out of respect for her, we will be referring to her as Lynn for the remainder of this episode. Lynn was 16 years old and had three siblings, but the one that will be mentioned the most in this story is her sister, Lisa Allen, who is, without a doubt, an immense advocate for her sister's case. Okay, I don't love her middle name either. Why are we giving these poor girls men names? (laughs) Lynn was very recently turned 16, and numerous sources reported that Lynn received an opal ring from her mother for her 16th birthday that she guarded fiercely. She wore this ring near constantly and treasured it. According to the Centennial Record, Jeffrey was a great student and dreamed of being an Olympic swimmer or a gymnast. She also had dreams of attending college after high school. I love that she had these really huge dreams, like not just being a competitive swimmer or a gymnast that does this for a hobby. She wanted to be an Olympic level swimmer or gymnast. That's definitely huge ambitions. Yeah. Sounds like she was a really, really smart girl. 
Lynn's story takes place in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Hot Springs is located in Garland County, and it's a smaller town, only about 35 square miles, with only about 30,000 people in it in 1985 when this story takes place. That feels like a lot of people to me for some reason. I don't know. I just picture that we had a population of like 10 people back in the day. (laughs) Lynn lived with her family in Hot Springs, and she was last seen on Silver Street just a few blocks from her home. Per Arkansas Online, the area where she went missing was heavily wooded. Red flag, get rid of all the woods, you guys. That's always where bad stuff happens. (laughs) It all needs to go. Yes. People disappear. People get murdered. Bodies get dumped. We can't find them. We just don't need them. It's a bigger problem. It's too much of a hassle. (laughs) The Centennial Record reports that on December 4th, 1985, Lynn had just gotten out of school and was walking home with her friend and her boyfriend, Frank Hanna. Red flag right there. I just know that name. Okay, why does he have a girl middle name when he... What is happening in the 80s, you guys? (laughs) I think Hannah was his last name, but I do see where you're coming from with that. Oh, okay. Well, I processed it as the middle name, so I guess that's fair. If it's a last name, again, it doesn't make sense as a last name. So again, I question what we're doing in the 80s, but okay. (laughs) It is like a two first name situation, yeah. Yeah. Per the Doe Network, Lynn's aunt happened to drive by and offered them a ride, but they declined. Lynn's friend that was walking with the couple split from them and went her own way, leaving Lynn and Frank together at this point. It's unclear what happened between 3.30 when she was last seen and later that night, but she never returned. The next morning, her family was terrified when Lynn had not returned home. Well, I hope we wouldn't track down this red flag of a man. (laughs) In an article for missingkids.org, Lisa tells the story of that morning as this. Her mother called her in tears, panicked, informing her that her sister never came home. I know that some people may not panic when their 16-year-old daughter stays out past curfew or maybe even stays out overnight, but the family knew something was wrong immediately. Lynn was not like this and had never done something like this before. The family called the police to report Lynn missing, but they did not receive the response that they would have hoped for. The Doe Network states that Lynn was originally classified as a runaway, and law enforcement did little to investigate her case. Oh my gosh. So Don't tell me that. Well, you're about to get some worse news as the story goes on, because it seems almost like they did less than little to investigate her case. Oh my gosh. Well, you guys let the roasting of this god-awful police department begin. (laughs) Her family emphasized that Lynn had no history of doing this, and MissingKids.org reports that Lynn had never even missed curfew. Frank Hanna, her boyfriend, who was the last person to see her before her disappearance, was hardly questioned. Okay, I hope that we fired whoever did that, who was in charge of this, because that's like, he's a walking red flag with his name alone. He was the last one to see her. (laughs) Julia's laughing at me, you guys. Sorry, but I just get the sense that he's a walking red flag. Would you trust somebody with two first names? Because I don't. Oh, my God. The woods. You had to walk her by the woods? Why? (laughs) Again, another red flag. Lynn's sister, Lisa, described this interview on News One as a five-minute interview where they stood at his door and asked him a question. And it was worded like that, a question. 
She says the mother and father sat outside the door and watched this entire thing take place. So was this like this detective's first day on the job? Um, Did we lose too many brain cells along the way? Like, I just don't understand what happened. So I don't think it was the single detective. I think it was an issue from the top down. Oh my gosh. To provide some more background as to just how little care was paid to this case at the time, Lisa reported to News 1 that one day her family got a call from law enforcement saying that there was news about Lynn's disappearance. So, of course, the family went down to the police station only to find out that this was completely ingenuine. And instead, they arrested her stepfather on an outstanding traffic warrant. Oh, my God. I'm going to flip a table, you guys. You heard that right. Law enforcement took advantage of this family situation with their missing teenage daughter and lured them down to the police department over a traffic warrant. I hope that this family sued this police department and won like lots of money because this is insane to me. What did he do? Run a stop sign? Was he just going like five miles? over? Why does it matter? You guys. Oh my God. I can't. Yeah. Just imagine like you're going down there because you think there's news of your missing sister and instead another member of your family is like swept away. So now there's less support. You already know that the law enforcement isn't doing anything to help. And somebody who's probably genuinely trying to help is now gone. So you just have less resources. You know what, guys, let's just go over there and we need to protest this. I know it's like 30 plus years later, but it doesn't matter. This is unacceptable. Yes. While law enforcement initially did not do much to help find Lynn, her family absolutely did. In a YouTube video posted by Lynn's sister, she describes just some of the efforts that the family made to find their beloved daughter and sister. Her family tried their hardest to get Lynn classified as an endangered missing person, but, surprise, surprise, they weren't able to. Despite this, they posted their own missing persons flyers, did their own investigating, they went to psychics, they came up with their own reward money, they really went and did everything in their power to try to find her. I just want to take a minute, you guys, I know I kind of take a break every episode when we hear about the efforts families are making to locate their loved ones, and I just want to reiterate it again in case somebody else, you know, hears something that they didn't even think to do for their missing loved one, Um, and there are definitely some good ones in this, so they are getting these missing persons flyers up. Um, You know, unfortunately, because law enforcement, I think more times than not, is relatively frustrating to work with. going out and talking to people on your own. I encourage that to be honest, because people are going to be more willing to talk to you than they are the police anyway. Um, I think the psychic thing, I don't really know how I feel about that, but um, they were able to come up with their own reward. That is huge. That can really help cases get the breaks that they need. Like it's crappy that we have to offer money for people to do the right thing. Um, But sometimes that's all it takes to get a break. So I just wanted to reiterate those things to you guys. Lisa said that she'd tried numerous times over the year to get in contact with Bill Clinton, as she believes that if he only knew Lynn was missing, he'd use his power and influence to help find her. Something about this is just heartbreaking to me, like trying to get in contact with Bill Clinton of all people in the world to help find your missing sister. Like that's really going above and beyond. And it makes sense with the mom having those connections. But I also wonder how helpful the Clinton family would really be considering that they got upset that their maid wouldn't name their daughter after their child that they wanted yeah 
And let's, yeah, I mean, I have some thoughts about the Clintons. (laughs) (laughs) I won't share them here because this is not a political podcast, but yeah. Missingkids.org reports that Frank Hanna initially stayed by the family side as they searched for Lynn, and he would make efforts to be helpful when he could. The family would pick him up, and he'd ride with them looking for Lynn. However, this solidarity did not last forever, and it appears that his support dwindled as time went on. To make matters even more grim, KARQK reports that one day the family received a call from police stating that Lynn's ring had been found sold to a local pawn shop. And now this is the opal ring that her mother gave her for her 16th birthday, and it was said that she very much treasured that ring. It is generally believed that Frank Hanna is the one that pawned Lynn's ring right around the time of her disappearance. Well, I was just going to say I would put my money on this walking red flag again. Well, and the crappy part about this is this is the mid-80s, so, like, that is long before security cameras were ever a thing. Yeah, you would, I mean, I don't know, I wasn't able to find exactly how they tied that ring back to Frank Hanna. I would imagine that maybe somebody at the pawn shop recognized him and recognized, like, who pawned this ring, but a lot of sources did say that it seems as though it's believed that Frank Hanna is the one that did that. Could you imagine, like, the balls to do that? Like, in your own... It's not even like you went to town over to do it where nobody knew you. Yeah, it was the local pawn shop. That is just wild. I tell you what. So while we're on the topic of Frank Hanna, I guess I'll take some time here to provide some additional information on who was Lynn's boyfriend at the time. Multiple sources, including Lynn's sister, Lisa, have stated that Frank Hanna was abusive towards Lynn, And she was actually planning on breaking up with him around the time of her disappearance. I feel like this is a terrifying reality for Lynn to have to face. The time in which a victim of domestic violence tries to leave is often the most dangerous time for them. I've read over multiple sources regarding this case, and I've not been able to find any additional information as to what this abuse exactly looked like towards Lynn. So physical, verbal, sexual, whatever the case may have been, the general consensus is that he treated her very poorly. I did, however, find that Frank Hanna has displayed a pattern of abuse towards women throughout his life. Oh, I'm so shocked. Yeah. According to Uncovered.com, in 2005, Lisa ended up moving back to Arkansas to do some additional looking into her sister's case. So she'd been doing this work for decades by this point. It was reported that Frank Hanna had been physically abusive towards at least two other women. One of them, he ended up shooting in the face. Holy, I was not expecting that. Yeah, so he, yeah, this is big abuse that he's doing towards people. Well, and that really puts it in perspective that, I mean, he really could have done something very awful and horrendous to Lynn. Yes, Lisa was able to conduct phone interviews with these women and provided the details to authorities in Hot Springs. While it would appear that Frank would be the most likely place to start with this investigation into Lynn's disappearance, decades go by with no real movement in the case. Because she was initially classified as a runaway, it doesn't appear that law enforcement initially did much investigation into her disappearance at all, which we've said multiple times. It looks like those initial weeks, decades even, there was not much happening. It wasn't until Lynn's sister, Lisa, 
breathed light into her case that increased eyes were put on the investigation. I stated earlier that in 2005, Lisa did investigating into Frank Hanna. She has truly been the most prominent advocate in Lynn's case. For decades, Lisa has spoken to media outlets, law enforcement, and even went on to work with the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children as a way to cope with her sister's disappearance. She also volunteered for Team Hope, a national advocacy and support network for families with missing children. That's amazing that she's doing so much. Yes. In 2008, Lynn's sister began posting YouTube videos detailing her sister's disappearance and the impact it has had on her family. In these videos, you can hear the emotion in Lisa's voice as she talks about all she's been through trying to bring her sister's case to light. She titles these videos out of obscurity and says that she wants to get her sister's story out there, believing that times have changed. Lisa says that she feels as if law enforcement is taking her case more seriously and it's being more heavily looked into by investigators. In the second of these videos, we meet Lisa's mom, Clarice. Clarice shares her experiences working with the Clinton family, aiming to use her mom's connection in an effort to gain more publicity for Lynn's case. That same year, Lynn's case was reopened as a cold case, so her efforts are really paying off. The Centennial Record reports that on December 7, 2010, another search was done around the area Jeffrey was last seen by the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. However, no remains were found. This search utilized trained cadaver dogs and lasted for a full day. Remember, it's been over 20 years since she disappeared by that point. In 2012, Hot Springs PD announced that they have a new person of interest in Jeffrey's case. I wasn't able to find any sort of follow-up on this. Years later, in 2017, the Centennial Record reported that Lisa, Team Hope, the Hot Springs Police Department, and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children organized an event at the Hot Springs Mall where parents could acquire free child ID kits and learn about an app through the NCMEC that allows parents to store all their children's information on it for easy sharing with law enforcement should their child ever go missing. That's really incredible. It is. December tends to be an especially hard year for the family, according to an article Lisa conducted with missingkids.org. Every year around the time of Lynn's disappearance, the family hands out Lynn bags to those in need containing toiletries, food, socks, a $5 bill, and gloves, along with Lynn's missing persons poster. They hope to preserve her memory in this way. Per the Centennial Record, her family members have submitted DNA profiles into the national database, however, no matches have been found. According to Fox 16, there is no physical evidence available to test the family's DNA against. This same article suggests that as of 2019, Lisa is currently the only living relative of Lynn. KRK reports that the family's desire to be able to bury Lynn near her two-year-old baby sister who died of a brain tumor and was buried in Kansas helps them to keep hope alive. At the time of this episode, Lynn has not been found. The family deserves justice. They have received no closure over the disappearance of Lynn. 
Lisa has since done so much for families of other missing children and has worked so hard to get her sister's case the attention it deserves. Lynn was last seen on December 4, 1985, near the intersection of Crescent Springs and Silver Springs and Silver Street in Hot Springs, Arkansas. At the time of her disappearance, she was wearing a brown jacket, pink pants, and tan shoes. She weighed roughly 110 pounds and stood about 5'3". She's African-American, her ears are pierced, and she had a mole on the right side of her chin. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Jeffrey Lynn Smith, call the Hot Springs Police Department at 501-321-6789. If you have a missing child or know someone who does, resources are definitely available. You can contact the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at missingkids.org. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find the source material in the show notes. To show your support, please leave us a review on the platform you're listening on. This is the best way to support us, and this is what pushes our podcast out to new listeners. You can subscribe on Patreon. We are on Patreon as Over the Horizon and Far Away. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Over the Horizon and Far Away. If you would like to submit a case for us to cover, you can email us at overthehorizonandfaraway at gmail.com, or you can find our case submission form on any of our socials. We will see you guys next week. Bye!